0: Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about our sponsor. The University of Dallas is a premier Catholic liberal arts institution, renowned for its rigorous core curriculum and thriving graduate programs. Careers in ministry, teaching, business, humanities, and science are formed here. With campuses in Texas and Rome, Italy, students begin their pursuit of a life well lived. We have two alums of Dallas here at First Things on staff, and they are both superb. For more information on the University of Dallas, visit udallas.edu. That's udallas.edu. Dr. Richard Gallagher is the author of a new book entitled Demonic Foes, My 25 Years as Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks and the Paranormal. Uh, I am actually going to let him explain his his background, his expertise, because uh, as he notes at the beginning of the book, uh, the issue of credibility, of actual experience and authority is particularly important in in this issue. So I, I, I will let him uh, just lay out his qualifications and his accomplishments that enables him to speak about this still controversial issue, uh, Dr. Gallagher. Thank you for joining us, and and if you would.
1: Well, my pleasure. Let me give you a, let me give you a little bit of background. So, uh, I'm a native uh, New Yorker. I was brought up Irish Catholic in uh, New York City. And uh, eventually I uh, found my way to Princeton, I studied the classics, which is relevant because um, it really alerted me how ubiquitous throughout history was belief in evil spirits in all different cultures. And even though there were different cultural interpretations of these uh, malign spirits, there was no question in my mind that if you know world history you know how pervasive is the belief in evil spirits but you know I didn't give much thought to it um, until eventually uh, I saw the Exorcist movie and um, I was intrigued by the part of the psychiatrist priest who was you know attempting to explain all this and still not feeling like I um, was going to see any of these cases, but after finishing my residency at at Yale in psychiatry, I went on to work for Cornell Medical College for a while, and uh, to my surprise, this uh, rather rumpled looking, erudite priest knocked on my door one day and said, Dr. Gallagher, I've heard you're an academic psychiatrist and a Catholic. I, I, I wonder if you'd be uh, willing to uh, assess some cases that we think have a demonic component to it.
0: And, and if, I, if, I may, if I may interrupt you, you, you describe yourself at this time as a, a quote, a Yankee skeptic. You weren't, you weren't inclined to, to, to find, you didn't seek this out. Let's put it that way.
1: Well, I certainly didn't volunteer, and I don't think it's a good idea to volunteer for this field. I'd like to feel it was a little more providential that I I got asked to do this. Now, you know, I had been brought up reading the Gospels, and I was not skeptical of the Gospel accounts, but I did feel that this was such a rare disorder, especially at a time where um, you may or may not remember, Mark, there was something called the satanic panic going on in this country and people were seeing, especially fundamentalists, but people were seeing the devil everywhere. There was one estimate that uh, 50,000 kids were being kidnapped by satanists. Well, I had studied abuse pretty uh, seriously as an academic and I realized that there weren't 50,000 kids in America who disappeared in a particular year. Um, And so I was skeptical of a lot of these reports. Anyway, this priest comes to my office. I I don't name him in the book, although a lot of people know who he is. A good friend of mine who is deceased now. And he presented a case of a woman that he went on to describe to me as suffering from an oppression. She had bruises all over her body. Well, I did a medical workup. We tested her platelets, things like that, just to make sure there was nothing medical going on. And I said to uh, the priest, um, well, Father, you know, this certainly is no medical explanation why, why this woman gives a very credible report about being beaten up. And he said, well, that's exactly what we thought. We thought this was a demonic attack. He said something else to me around that time, too. When I had originally told him that I was skeptical, it's a good word. uh, He he said to me with a smirk, well, then you're the perfect guy for the job. Because he wanted someone who was not going to be overly credulous. And then the rest is sort of uh, history. You know, I got asked to write articles. I got asked to write a book. Part of the book they're going to make into a movie, believe it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, careful what you wish for. I'm dealing with corporate America.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, but I also became a member of the International Association of Exorcists, which is approved by the Vatican. In fact, I just got back from the meeting, addressing the meeting in a plenary address. A wonder wonderful bunch of people, and now the longest standing uh, American member.
0: May, may I uh, may, may I ask one thing? You used the term oppression a moment ago, and you you make... Uh, an important distinction, you say, that that is common between oppression and possession. What is the difference?
1: Well, there there are really three types and I I teach this uh, course in demonology at uh, uh, St. Joseph's Dunwoody Seminary and so I emphasize to the seminarians who need instruction in this area that there are three main types of what we call extraordinary attacks. There's infestations, there's oppressions, and there's possessions uh, so this 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 sort of means a more serious attack than just everyday uh temptation and essentially the difference between oppression and possession is the um extent to which the evil spirit has control of the uh body and consciousness of the individual okay if the if the evil spirit can really take over, manipulate even even put into a trance um, the individual victim that's a that's a possession uh, and often those are relatively easy easy to diagnose because they're they're quite flamboyant in terms of oppression, it's a little trickier that's where The church uh, begins to rely a little more on people like myself as a psychiatrist. And uh, that's where the demon is either physically in some way, from the outside you might say, (laughs) excuse me, attacking the individual or manipulating their senses or cognition to some extent. That is relatively rare as well, as well as... um, uh, uh, more complicated to diagnose.
0: Now, in your experience, uh, when when the priest or or, or or figures in the church come to you, uh, you, you said they they want your skepticism, uh, and I presume they would rather have a, a medical diagnosis than than a demonic diagnosis. They would love it if there was a me- if this was a medical condition, correct?
1: Well, it makes it makes things uh, easier, or at least very different. Takes it out of their uh, bailiwick. but uh, you know these are erudite men who uh, are usually well trained in the Catholic Church, and so they're they're looking for what what is the truth of of what's going on, and there are a number of psychiatric conditions. I mention them all in the book, most prominently. Things like psychosis, where people think they're hearing voices of demons. Um, Something called dissociative identity, where, um, you know, the person feels like an alternate personality is affecting them. And also just sort of people who are manipulated or hysterical or suggestible. So uh, they, as well as myself, obviously, as a physician, you know, I'm very careful to rule those things out. Uh,
0: what really impressed you was was right, right the, the object. I mean, this this is where the evidence is, and this is these are the powerful moments in in your book the the portraits of of the people that you've seen. Uh, one of the one of the longest ones in the book is the portrait of the Satanic Queen, Julia. How did you encounter her and and tell us about her?
1: It was an odd story about how I first met her. Um, My wife and I were in our uh, bedroom at around three o'clock and we had two well-behaved cats who went completely berserk in a way that we never had experienced before or ever again. We had to separate them. We wondered if they had too much catnip or something. The very next morning, so a few hours later, this same priest who introduced me to this field brings this uh, relatively petite woman with dark makeup on her face to my house. And uh, the woman, uh, first words out of her mouth, uh, the woman says, well, Dr. Gallagher, I've heard a lot about you. Uh, by the way, how did you like those cats last night? <laughs> okay, I had never, never Mark met this woman before in my life.
0: You know, in in your rendition in the book, when I read that sentence, the chill, uh, it, 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 the way the way you expressed that, it uh, uh, one could imagine the effect it had on you. Actually,
1: well, my effect was annoyance, and uh, you know, I later told her if uh, something like that happened again. Uh, I wasn't going to be able to meet with her. I met her pro bono. The, the The priest was such a dramatic possession that the priest had no doubt that she was possessed. They wanted me to speak to her. You know, I'm a psychoanalyst and uh, and psychiatrist, obviously. And um, they wanted me to talk about her ambivalence. Uh, she never apologized to me about the cats. I did. I did confront the the uh, priest, and I said to him, please, Father, with all due respect, never bring a Satanist to my neighborhood again, you know. The case, unfortunately, did badly. Yeah. And the reason it did badly was because she wanted to have her cake and eat it, too. So, for instance, uh, she knew she was possessed. She was a reasonably intelligent woman. And... uh, she enjoyed talking to me. I learned a lot about Satanism from her. And let me emphasize again, apropos the comment I made about satanic panic, uh, I don't I don't think these people are found every, around every corner, but uh, there are some real Satanists, even though there are some other people who have false memories of them, too. So, yeah, yeah you have to distinguish that. But um, because she refused to leave the cult, in fairness to her, I think she was afraid of the cult, and she claimed also to be in love with uh, with its uh, leader. So she had made this kind of Faustian bargain, and uh, since she refused to leave the cult to reform her life, uh, it was obvious to us after a while that she was never going to be delivered.
0: Yeah. What well, One thing, we can get a little more about her, but one thing you said was very important and that is that you not be her therapist. Why was that?
1: Well, I don't, t- I don't tend to treat these individuals. In other words, I'm doing, I'm doing an assessment for the church. Okay. So, you know, I have to have their permission to talk to the church. I do this pro bono. Um, surprisingly, uh, I'm not saying that possessed individuals don't have their issues. But it's very rare, actually, that they have any kind of serious mental disorder. They're usually fairly coherent people. Yeah. Another yeah. Reason, another reason you suspect something else more is going on. You know, I always tell my colleagues, "Well, um, how many how many psychiatric patients do you know who have levitated or all of a sudden start speaking Latin?" Uh, they don't have a very good rejoinder to that comment. Hmm
0: um what uh, uh, as you describe Julia boy the things that she was involved in you know getting pregnant abortion sacrificing the, the 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 growing infant i i mean it's ghastly what she was involved in and it is it is sad that she didn't she never got, do you know what ever happened to her eventually? Can you say?
1: Yeah. A few years later, we got a call from her and she, uh, she said she wanted to resume the uh, exorcisms, uh, which the priest was perfectly willing to do, uh, but we wanted to check out her medical condition. And she admitted to me that she was dying of cancer. Um, I wanted to speak to her oncologist. I never got that chance. Uh, we presume she died uh, because that's what she said, and she always told me that she would tell me the truth.
0: Yeah, yeah. As as you went into the field, I mean, you have obviously the the extensive medical training. Did you find that you had to dig deeper into in, into the theology, the history behind uh, the history of possessions and and the practices of exorcisms? Was that sort of a an alter? Uh, another course of study for you?
1: Well, I'm an academic and I'm also on the faculty of the uh, St. Joseph Seminary and teach the course in this area. So it certainly was incumbent upon me to get as scholarly knowledge of the field. Uh, As I said, I'm a classics major from college, so I've always had a great interest in history and uh, I think an historical perspective is, is very valuable. Anthropologists and um, other historians of the subject, if they're honest observers of the literature, they know darn well that all throughout history people have reported these weird cases. They have a, a often a different interpretation. They may say, well, this person was possessed by uh, Phenomenologically, they 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 may say this person believed they were um, possessed by a dead spirit or an ancient god or something like that. Um, that's if they that's if they believe it, but they do report the phenomena, and uh, in all cultures, this sort of thing has been reported. The argument the argument for regarding all those theories that they might be ancient God or Uncle Uncle Harry and the Freemasons or um, um, you know, some dead ancestor. The argument against that, of those of us who have observed, of course I'm not an exorcist, but I've observed many exorcisms, is that under the compulsion of our Lord, ultimately, it's not the priest, it's our Lord who delivers people, under the compulsion of our Lord, these demons very reluctantly, because you have to kind of pull it out of them. They don't want to. They're so used to lying in in a sadistic way that they they don't want to admit who they are. But eventually, before a successful exorcism is finished, uh, and it's a good sign, uh, they are forced to admit who they are, and, and and invariably they admit that they're demons.
0: Yeah, and and. One thing that that convinces you is, you know, let, let, let's say with with Julia, you, you'll be driving along, she's in the back seat, and another voice comes out of her, and there is no way in the world that that's her. Is this is this the judgment?
1: Yeah, I mean that's again, you know, you have to make sure that you're not dealing with a multiple personality or something, but. uh the, so, the signs and symptoms, uh, you know, what we call in medicine the syndrome. I mean, possession is a type of syndrome, uh, to use a medicalized term. In other words, there has to be very rigorous evidence. Uh, invariably, there's hatred of the sacred. But there has to be something of a the modern, the modern world would call it paranormal. I would call it preternatural. Uh, the it has to be pretty natural uh, signs. The classic ones are speaking foreign languages that the person never knew, um, exhibiting superhuman strength or movements, uh, and knowing things, knowing things that they would not know otherwise. So, uh, in the, in, when they reveal themselves, and there are people who voluntarily are possessed, Um, But most of the cases the church deals with um, are going to be involuntary cases. And then you see the most dramatic sign, which you have to have in addition to the other evidence, of a person who goes into a trance and and out of their their mouth comes these, you know, usually quite nasty words. The story you're referring to was I was uh, driving in the car with this... um, priest-exorcist, all of a sudden, you know, we noticed she was sitting in the back seat because we were, you know, finding a venue for the exorcism. And um, she uh, starts saying to the priest, I was perfectly happy she was not talking to me. She she was saying to the priest, uh, you you effing priest, I told you to leave leave her alone. She's ours, you'll never get her. And one one phrase I found kind of interesting was, she called him a monkey priest. And I always tell people that to me, is is a fair summation of how they think of us. They think of us as crude and stupid animals, uh, who they have a perfect right to, uh, you know, enslave. Uh, it's 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 perhaps their hostility is. Primarily not against us in any case it's it's against our Lord and God because they don't have any power over God in fact, anything they can do is by the mysterious providential will of God Saint Augustine had said if they had free reign, they would kill us all and you mm. think that was some kind of early medieval um, exaggeration but that's a, fair, that's a fair summation of their attitude. They, they really would like to pull us. And of course, because of our protection from God and angels and saints, uh, then they're not able to do that.
0: Another subject, Sarah, whom you call a case of internal oppression. Uh, tell us about her and how you got involved there.
1: Again, it was sent to me by a priest. And, uh, A lot of times the cases that are sent to me by a credible clergy, and I've worked with clergy of other faiths, too, uh, there's already a a suspicion that they have something demonic. So of those cases, people sometimes ask me, well, of your cases, how many are, are genuine? I mean, a fair amount are genuine because they've been screened already. Uh, Or they come to me on their own, knowing of my work. I I tell something that surprises fundamentalists. You know, I've been a busy clinician in my life. I was in the county crisis team, for instance. And I've evaluated about 27,000 people in my life. Now, these are patients. These are not people who are sent to me or find me because of my area of expertise with the demonic. Of those of those 27,000 patients, none of them did I think were possessed, hmm. which, shows, which shows the rarity of it, but it also shows that, you know, I'm not going around diagnosing mentally ill patients as possessed. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But Sarah, what was her internal oppression?
1: She had a very interesting case, and, and I tried to include in the book, uh, Demonic Foes, I tried to include cases that were a little interesting as well as instructive. And when she came to me, she was referred by, by a priest, and um, she claimed that she was getting these very clear messages um, from angels. And you know, false visionaries are not uncommon. Uh, but this was a very down-to-earth housewife, uh, salt-of-the-earth person, devout. And uh, for a while, she was fooled. uh, And and I said to her, well, first of all, did you get an evaluation by a psychiatrist before you saw me? And she said, "Uh, yes, uh, uh, they're stumped because they don't think this is psychosis. Uh, And she said, that's why I came to you, doctor. And I said to her, well, do you believe that angels could be speaking to you? And with a good deal of humility, she said to me, you know, I I think I'm a very ordinary person. Uh, I don't think that angels have this grand mission for me. And I said, well, that's, that's admirable that you have a certain humility about this. You know, work with the priest, have him say prayers with you, intensify your spiritual life, and let's see what happens. So she came back a month later and she said to me, Dr. Gallagher, I think you assume that there might be a change here. She said, that they, they uh, now tell me who they are, they're dead souls. And I said, well, what do you believe about that? And this is the bread and butter of spiritualism, you know, people who think they're in, in contact and channeling or, or, as a, or, or mediums for dead souls. And I said, so what do you think about that? She goes, well, look, I know my Bible. I know Deuteronomy. I know Leviticus. I know that communicating with spirits is really, really discouraged. And um, she said, I am a devout person. I don't think that they were dead souls. Hmm. And I said, well, I think you're, you're onto something. Keep, keep, keep your eyes open and keep figuring out and working with the priest. So finally she yeah. came back to me another month, and she said to me, you know, Dr. Gallagher, I, I think, I assume this is what you, what you were driving at. She said, um, they finally revealed themselves. And I said, and who did they say they are? They said they were evil spirits. So the, the instructive lesson, Mark, is how often these evil spirits pretend to be something else. Yeah. I often tell, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a classicist at heart, I suppose, still. And I often tell the story of the Delphic Oracle, which I'm sure you're familiar from your uh, school days. And this is a woman who was a peasant woman who voluntarily went into a trance and the voice of Apollo would come out of her, supposedly. And um, people from all over the Mediterranean would come to visit the Delphic Oracle, so she obviously had some real knowledge, real hidden knowledge that we that we see in these possessed cases too. And um, look, you know, I mean, looking back on it, I am even though there's other theories, like you know, she was inhaling the vapors of uh, the springs of Delphi. I visited Delphi. Um, There's no doubt that this was a voluntary possession. Because the voice would come out, it would say it was Apollo, it had amazing knowledge, sometimes right, sometimes wrong, but that's typical of evil spirits who lie a lot and don't know the future. Uh, Another thing thing to remind people, because some people get confused when they come to me and they say, well, someone such a fortune teller told me what my future was, and I said, nobody knows the future. You know, except God, not even. Yeah. Angels. But it's the the message there too is how even throughout ancient history, um, as the as the later intertestamentary Jewish thinkers, as well as of course the early Christian thinkers, recognized that the pagan gods were sometimes demons pretending to be pagans.
0: Yeah, and I would want to. Uh Highlight the, your, your care in in discerning the the presence of of possession. Your your circumspection on that. You you note at one point, for instance, that uh, some people who suffer borderline uh, symptoms uh, for them, the idea of an evil spirit inside them is actually quite tempting. Uh, that's one of the one of the one of the ways in which one again one has to one has to show real judgment uh, and patience. Uh, about these things, but we're, we're, we're running out of time here. Let me ask one final question, doctor, in your experience with people such as Catherine, uh, your, your case in West Virginia, have you found reasons why demons targeted those specific individuals had, did, did, was there something in their past that made them, that opened them to, to the possession? Uh, was that a factor?
1: No, it's absolutely the prime factor. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying there aren't some exceptions, but, uh, you know, I won't, I won't bore you with the academic exceptions. The vast majority of people who get possessed are people who have done one or both of two things. Either they have turned to occultism, and in a way, it's they're asking for favors. You know, I want to know this, I want to know that, I want to... I want to curse my, you know, ex-boyfriend. Uh, and they're playing with fire and they get in over their head. And the second group of people is just people who uh, have turned to evil. You know, I I, I uh, mention in the book a, a gangster, a drug lord who got possessed because of his criminal evil behavior. By contrast with Julia, he eventually you know, turned back to the faith of his youth, his Catholicism, and he was delivered. But that shows the difference. People have to understand that exorcism is par excellence a pastoral ministry, so that you have to not only are the prayers helpful and effective, but the person has to reform their life.
0: Yeah. Well, just, just I'm, I'm going I'm to take a little little while longer here. Uh, it, it's clear from your I mean I have, there are many many other questions actually that I that I have uh, for you, but it's, it's very clear. I'll finish this with, with this one. It's very clear from your conclusion that you actually welcome scientific scrutiny of the phenomenon of possession, but you also insist that investigators have to have some uh, theological knowledge about this or they're untrustworthy uh, how do how do people regard that demand in in your in your experience I mean one, one thing you note know at the beginning is that in spite of abundant empirical and historical evidence for possession the, the resistance is strong in the medical community <laughs>
1: That hasn't always been the case. In other words, in the Middle Ages, you know, doctors not only had biological theories of mental illness, but were often called in on exorcisms to do exactly what I'm doing now. I also know, having just gotten back from uh, addressing an assembly of several hundred exorcists in Rome, uh, I know darn well that there's a lot of psychiatrists who do believe about me. And I would even say, Mark, about, you might say, some of the skeptics or pure materialists in our profession. And there are those people. If they're an honest person and can describe honestly, well, this goes beyond science, uh, as we understand it. At least it goes beyond the epistemological basis of what's called methodological naturalism. They can be helpful, too. Uh, But too many of them, it's true. In part because they see a lot of people who only imagine or maybe are deluded about having evil spirits. They they tend in today's world to overgeneralize.
0: Yeah. Well, for now, uh, the book is Demonic Foes My 25 Years Psychiatrist Investigating Possessions, Diabolic Attacks, and the Paranormal. Dr. Gallagher, Dr. Richard Gallagher, thank you for joining us.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you.